Good morning. It's been such a great morning already. Thank the Lord so much. It's great to have Marsha back. Welcome back, Marsha. So glad you're here. Amen. Let's go ahead. I'll, I'll Would you turn with me, please, to the Gospel of Luke, to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. I want you to notice, uh, before we dig in, we're going to start with verse 4, but I want you to notice verse 1, because it's going to tell us the setting, the setting. It says in uh, Luke chapter 1, verse, uh, Luke chapter 8, verse 1, soon afterward, he, that's Jesus, went on through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. You know, I was thinking about that, and I thought how the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Father, God the Spirit, you know, God wants to communicate with us. He wants us to know the good news of salvation. So what a wonderful day that it is that we can celebrate the good news of the gospel. You know, verse four is where we're gonna begin, and you'll notice that it talks about a great crowd was gathering. Where were they from? Well, it actually goes on to say, and people from town after town came to him. And so just think about what would it be like if all the people in Columbus just started going to church? If they all said, we wanna hear what Jesus has to say. What would it be like for that many people to start gathering together? Well, it's interesting what Jesus says at the end of verse eight, and we'll read these verses in a moment, but he actually calls out, it's like he shouts out something to such a big crowd. And here's what he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Do you think that sometimes we can listen without paying attention? If you've raised kids, you know the answer to that. <laughs> the key word in this whole passage, if you were to look through uh, Luke chapter eight, the key word is hear. Here, the word here, H-E-A-R, is mentioned eight times. It's mentioned six times in the verses we're about to read, but also on down past where we're gonna stop in verse 15, you could find uh, verse 21 mentions the word here, and verse 50 mentions the word here. But once again, the emphasis is not just on hearing, it's on listening to what you're hearing. It's on paying attention but especially its own, do you understand what is being said? I think that we're gonna be given a hearing test. It's a time for a parable, and so Jesus is going to have a parable. A parable comes from a Greek word. Our English word parable comes from the Greek word parabole. Para means alongside, but bole comes from the verb bolo, and it means to throw, just like in baseball, they throw the ball. So it means to throw or cast. And so a parable is a story that we can understand. The Lord Jesus Christ has spiritual truth that he wants to get across to us. He wants to communicate it. But sometimes we have hard time with just principles. So he gives the principle, but he throws alongside of that spiritual principle, this incredible story that we should be able to understand if we're listening with our heart. If we're listening with our heart, 
more than likely a physician at some point in your life, if not yet, then someday they may do this. But a, a physician may have used an instrument called a stethoscope to listen to your heart or listen to your lungs. I'm so grateful that a French physician named René Lanec invented the stethoscope back in 1816. All he did was he rolled up, he rolled up some paper and he put it to the chest of one of his patients and he listened to the end of the paper and he could hear better than just without that paper. But he eventually went on to begin to try to come up with what's the best way to listen to the body's internal sounds. He wrote extensively on what he learned by listening closely to the body. He wrote about bronchitis. He wrote about cirrhosis of the liver. He wrote about pneumonia and pleurisy and emphysema, as well as heart disease. But what he was trying to do was save lives. He was trying to listen closely to what's going on on the inside. But Dr. Luke writes of Jesus' famous words in Luke 8, 4 through 15, where we're gonna look. And it's not just listening to the heart, but Jesus is concerned, are you listening with the heart? And so in this parable, the Lord is going to give each one of us a glimpse of our own heart. Have you ever seen a picture of your heart? When I had six stents put in my heart, they rolled me into the OR and they said, if you wanna watch us as we put the stents in, well, there's a monitor up there. And I said, no, thanks, I'll just focus on the Lord. And so man, I quoted every scripture verse and I said every prayer I knew to pray. But anyway, have you ever thought about what condition your heart is in? I think as we listen to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Dr. Luke is gonna help us to know What's the diagnosis? What's going on in there? As you hear sermons, as you are in Bible studies, when you read the Word of God yourself, what is going on in your heart in response? Would you stand in honor of this amazing passage of Scripture? Luke chapter 8, I'm going to begin with verse 4 and read down through verse 15. If you have a Bible, please use your own Bible. But if you don't, there are Bibles in the pews or you can look at the screen. But it says, and when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him. He said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell among along the path and was trampled underfoot and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock. As it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture and some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. When his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they're in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. 
and the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soul, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Let's go to the Father in prayer. Oh Lord, we long to hear your voice. We know you want to communicate to us. You've given us a copy of the entire word of God from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And Lord, your word's active. You're always speaking through it. Thank you so much for how we can hear your voice. But as we'll see, Lord, sometimes the problem is not with the Word of God, and the problem is not with the messenger, whether it's a Sunday school teacher or maybe a grandparent or a mom or a dad. The problem is in our hearts. There's something that's interfering with you speaking to us. But today we just want to gather together in the name of Jesus and ask that you would put a hedge of protection around this whole room, around this broadcast, if people are listening on the radio. We pray to God that you would speak to every heart and every heart would know where they stand individually in terms of a personal relationship with the Father through his Son, Jesus Christ. And so speak today, Lord, show us what's going on in our hearts and may we listen today with our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, let's look at this passage uh, together. This section of scripture can be understood best by breaking it down into four parts. First, we're going to look at verse one and see the motivation. Why did Jesus give this parable? I think there's something significant we need to remember in verse four and it'll help us know what he was trying to accomplish with the parable. But then when you go to verses five through eight, it's the presentation of the parable. It's raw. Put yourself not where you are, knowing what the answer is gonna be, or knowing what Jesus is gonna to explain to the disciples, but try to picture hearing it for the very first time. What would it be like to those that just hear it? No explanation yet, they just hear it. We'll review it and see what the presentation was like. But then I want you to see the revelation through not only this parable, but all the parables that Jesus taught. He's trying to tell you the truth. He's not trying to sugarcoat anything. He's trying to say, this is the way it is. And so we're wise if we will heed what he says. But then we'll look lastly at those remaining verses 11 through 15, and we'll consider the explanation of the parable. I'm gonna make a fast look to uh, go through the first three so we can get to the last one. But let's look at the, sec the first section to begin with. It's found in verse four, and I think it does provide us with the context. It gives us his motivation. Christ's motivation for this parable of the sower can best be understood with four words that are described, I think, in verse one and verse four. The first word we could say in terms of his motivation was proclamation. He wants to get the word out there. And so that's why he goes 
from, to city after city, to village after village. That's what it says in verse one. And what was he doing? Proclaiming, bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. Do you know the people in your life, they need an opportunity to hear the gospel at least once. I mean, a good, clear presentation of the gospel. And so he wants to proclaim it. But notice also the penetration of the region. He doesn't want anyone to be left out. He could have stayed in Capernaum. He could have stayed in Nazareth, but he didn't. He goes from city after city, village after village. That's why it's so significant that disciples take the gospel everywhere we go, because the Lord wants to totally penetrate society so that everybody has that opportunity. But then notice his motivation is also the accumulation of the responses. People are liking what they hear. And so they're beginning to just gather over and over from city after city, town after town, village after village. They're all coming together until finally it says there was, there was a great crowd. And then his motivation could be understood with when it says he said in a parable, communication, communication of his intent. You see the parables simplify things. The parables illustrate things. I mean, spiritual truth can be hard to understand sometimes. Sometimes people read the Bible and they're like, I don't understand that at all. And so Jesus comes alongside of a spiritual truth and he says, this will help. And so he puts this parable there so that we can understand he's revealing the truth to those who are really listening. Are you listening today? You know, the camera man has been instructed if he sees anybody falling asleep, Zoom in on them and we'll either put it up here, or we'll put it on the nightly news. I'm kidding, I'm not, we won't do that. I didn't say that. Don't do that by the way, I'm just joking. Well, the second section is the presentation of the parable. Let's just review. Jesus wants to connect with the audience, the people who are listening. And so he chooses a familiar image of farming, of agriculture. So in verse five, he says, here's, here's something I want you to consider. A sower went out to sow. You know, that's always best, right? How many of you sow inside your house? Probably not many of us. It's best to go out to sow. So sowing means you take this bag of seed back then, you put it over your shoulder. It's kind of got a big cavity there, big bag. In the bag is the seed. And so the sower would broadcast the seed like in arcs like this. And he would just throw the seed. And that's the way they would farm back then. It wasn't the precision farming where it's precise and we know how deep we're gonna put the seed and so forth. None of that. The seed is thrown in wide arcs across the whole field. And so it falls into four different locations. Falls on the pathway. It's kind of beaten down. It says trampled down. Falls among rocks. They can't seem to get the moisture they need. They can't seem to get, get traction there on growth. Maybe for a little while there's growth, but then it, sun gets it, it withers and it dies. And then some is sown among thorns. And so the thorns, it says, they just kind of wrap around and they just choke out the life so there's no fruit. But then some of that seed falls on good soil, good soil. And so the, the four different locations each offer a lesson. Each give us a glimpse at that type of heart. And once again, this is truth coming at you, coming at me, you know, right from the Lord Jesus Christ. So verses nine and 10, 
refer to that revelation, the revelation that he wants to get across to us. You see, Jesus longed, like I said earlier, for everyone to understand, but many were perplexed. Were they perplexed because Jesus wasn't being honest about it? He was being kind of vague about it? No, no, they were perplexed. They didn't understand. What he's trying to say is truth is available. Listen to what I'm saying. And so Jesus alludes to Isaiah 6, verses 9 and 10. You see, the parables should reveal truth to those who are responsive. But if people are just sort of superficial and they're not really listening, let's say in the crowd that day, when he's going from place to place to place, some are just, you know, getting distracted. They're looking at other places. They're thinking what they're gonna do the rest of the day. They're not gonna get it and neither will you. But I'm just trying to tell you, he wants to reveal what is on his heart. And so he refers back to Isaiah 6, 9 through 10, when God said, who's gonna go for us? And Isaiah says, here I am, I, I will go. Have you ever come to God that way? Total surrender. He doesn't even know what the assignment is. And yet Isaiah saying, here am I, send me. And so then the Lord says, here's the assignment. I want you to go and speak to those who are not gonna listen. They're not gonna be responsive. Are you willing to tell people the good news of Christ, even if that day they don't receive Christ? Isaiah was willing to declare the message. Jesus was willing to declare the message. You see, the problem is he was calling more than just a crowd. I'm so glad all of you are here today. I, I hope you'll come every single Sunday. I hope you'll bring friends so that we have even more people that will hear God's word. But I just wanna be clear, God wants more from you. God wants more from me than to stand up here on the platform. He wants followers. He wants disciples. He wants us to know him. He wants us to walk with him through life. And so that's why we pray for those like Cece, who, you know, accepted Christ, trusted Christ already, following him. But then she realizes, uh oh, I skipped a step here that's important. And that is baptism. I've never been baptized. I want to be baptized. You see, this is just the beginning of her walk and her journey with the Lord Jesus Christ. How about you? Are you walking with him? When I was back there getting ready for the baptism, I could hear just a closer walk with thee. That was the instrumental number that was being played before we came out. But you know, if you were to read Matthew's version of this right here, I just wanna read this to you so you don't think I'm making this up. But whenever Matthew, in Matthew chapter 13, he quotes this same thing, he quotes from Isaiah, and uh, there's Jesus giving the same parable, the parable of the sower. But then listen to what he says in verses 16 and 17. Remember the context is always important. He says, but blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. You see, the Old Testament actually contains the New Testament concealed. Have you ever felt like these two Testaments, they don't even match. We should not even listen to the Old Testament anymore. That would be a mistake because the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. It's like a mystery. Some truths are revealed, but some truths are still a great mystery. But then when you get to the New Testament, it's like the Old Testament revealed. 
And so it's like Jesus is trying to help the Jewish people understand. Some of them are saying, this doesn't match up with what we've heard all our lives. And so the Lord is saying, you know, disciples, you need to really listen. This is a key moment for you that are here today. Here we are in 2022. We have such an opportunity on this side of the cross, on this side of the resurrection, on this side of the whole Bible being put together for us. You have such an incredible opportunity because you have more truth that's available to you, way more than these disciples did at that moment. Even though Jesus is standing right across from them, the apostle Paul had not yet been inspired by the Holy Spirit to write those letters. There's so many things that had not been revealed at this point. But for you and for me, we've got the whole revelation of God right there from Genesis to Revelation. And sometimes what do we do? It just sits there and collects dust at the house. If you only understood, if I only understood, it would make us be more passionate about getting into God's word and saying, what do you want to say to me? I want to hear it. And that's how those disciples were. They actually wanted to know what Jesus was trying to get across in this parable. And I believe God wants you to know today. And so that's why I want us to look finally at the explanation of the parable. This section is to this parable what a legend is to a map. Have you ever seen that little box on a map? It's like you see all these symbols on the map and you're thinking, what is that squiggly line there? Why is that in italics? Why is that in bold print? What does that circle star mean? What are all these things? You know, what's that picnic table mean? But you look in the legend, you look at there and you say, oh, now I understand. That's what that means. This is like the legend to the parable. Jesus is about to help us understand these four different kinds of soil. But I want you to be aware that he's not referring to just soil in terms of outside the dirt soil. He's talking about inside, inside our hearts. What is your heart like this morning? I want you to see if you can find where you are. You see, the seed, Jesus says, is the word of God. It's clear, verse 11. He makes it so clear. There's, it's written right on the legend. There's no reason you do not understand what the seed is. The seed is the word of God. But then the seed is sown by the sower in four different locations. So I wanna give you a way to understand these four different locations that comes right alongside of what Jesus said. The first location, remember, was the pathway, the footpath. If you've ever planted a garden, I remember working with my dad sometimes and my brother and I would get in just, you know, really intense dirt clod fights. But we always waited until he went inside the house. And it's like, he's out, you know, and so we were throwing things and he'd come back and we're down there, you know, like, oh, my boys work so hard in the garden. But there was a pathway in between the rows, right? and it's all smashed down and trampled down. And so let's look at that one first. I'm gonna call it a hardened heart. Is your heart hardened? There's something about life. So many people wanna trample over our lives. We raise kids in our home to fear God, to know the Lord, to know his word. And then we send them away to college. And then what happens? Many of them statistics say they do not follow the Lord 
at least in their college years. Some come back later. That's why it's a celebration. Whenever a young person like CC, who at 11 years of age says, I'm gonna follow Jesus. I'm gonna stand up there and I'm gonna illustrate what he did for me in believer's baptism. And that's what it says. Jesus died, he was buried, he rose again. The same way, Jesus has changed my life. Who I used to be is now gone. It's all gone, he's washed away. All those past sins and I'm somebody new in Christ. That's all it says. It doesn't happen in the water. It already happened in people's lives like CC. But what I'm trying to say is, we are so excited whenever someone prays to receive Christ. But if they don't, if they keep hearing, but they never do anything, then guess what happens? Friends trample over what we've been trying to say in the hearts. Friends do it, movies do it, music does it, the internet does it. I mean, on and on, professional athletes get up there and they talk about how they're living this incredible life. And so before we know it, the feet and the hooves and the wheels have beaten down that path so, so much that here we are, parents, grandparents, Sunday school teachers, Awana leaders, different ones, we're, we're out there sowing the seed, but the ground is so hard. And so there's unbelief and there's disinterest. And then notice what Jesus says can happen. After our hearts are trampled down and become really hard, you know what else is a factor in this life? There's not just God who's in the spiritual realm, there's also the devil in the spiritual realm. And it says that the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. They're not saved. They're not saved. Why are they not saved? Because the devil comes and he takes away what was sown into their hearts. So I think to myself, what is, what is the way that we can avoid that hardness from happening? You know, Hebrews 3, sometime read Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 15. It says, do not harden your hearts. So if you're here and you've never prayed to receive Christ, you never trusted Christ, you've never said, I turn from my sin, I wanna follow the Lord. I just wanna say, don't do that. Keep your heart soft. Don't, don't try to keep God at bay with the bongo drum saying, you stay away from me, I'm resisting this. No, you welcome the voice of God's Holy Spirit. Welcome the, the word of God. Welcome the Sunday school teacher or the parent or the grandparents that's trying to help you understand that God loves you and God has the truth about your life. But if we won't listen, then what would you do? What would you do if you were a farmer and there was hardened soil? Would you not hook up the tractor, hook up to the tractor a plow and you'll plow over that field because that field belongs to you, because you care about that field, because you want that field to produce lots of crops. But all you see that field is so barren and dry and just baked in the sun. Any seeds that fall there, the birds get it, it's gone. So what does God do? He says, oh, okay, so we need some difficulties. We need some sorrows. We need hard times. You know, there's all kinds of plows that can be hooked up to God's tractor in life so that he can break up that fallow ground. Don't push it to that far. Be receptive to the word of God without God having to 
bring pain into our lives so that we'll finally listen to him. But one possible response in a crowd this size is some people have a hardened heart. And you're saying, I don't care how much he says it, I'm already saying no, no, no. Let's look at the second one though. Verse 13 tells us, oh, some are kind of like the opposite. Some have a hollow heart. A hollow heart in terms of, well, there's not a lot of substance there. There's not a lot of depth there. It's like at first, yeah, man, they're, you know, maybe they're in a worship service. Maybe they hear a song. Maybe there's an illustration or a sermon, or maybe they just feel for their parents and oh, I've been causing them so much grief. I believe I'll just uh, say I'm a Christian today. So with emotionalism can quickly say, yeah, here I am. And so quickly, lots of joy. But notice what Jesus says can happen to this type of heart. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing, fall away. Man, how about that? You know, 1 John 2.19, I believe, addresses that. When it says they went out from us because they were not really of us. Because if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. So the reason people leave the Christian life and the reason they leave Christian circles is they never were truly born again. Somehow there was a, an excitement at one point in their life, but then they just totally pushed it away. But why? What does it mean when it says time of testing, they fall away? Well, Matthew once again gives us a little more clarity. In Matthew 13, 21, he says, on account of the word, on account of the word. So in other words, if society says, hey, it's not popular anymore to go to church. It's not popular anymore to follow Christ. It's not popular anymore to uh, do what the Bible says. Then these say, okay, I never was in it really anyway. And so they're out. Don't be like that. Don't have a hardened heart, but also don't have a shallow, hollow heart with no depth. Saying, I'm not gonna let the roots go down deep. But then the third one would be a harried heart. I'm not talking about hair on your head, harried. I'm talking about being stressed, feeling driven. So many people pulling this way and pulling that way. You ever felt that way? You could call it like a hurried heart because some people live their whole life trying to please this one, please that one, do this. Oh, that's a, a good, okay, I'll do it, I'll do it. And so people just hurry here and there and so Jesus sees all that. They were in his crowd too. And so here's this big crowd and he's saying, all of you are listening to what I'm saying, but are you really understanding what I'm saying? Are you paying attention to what I'm saying? That's what Jesus was saying to this big crowd. And so he brings up a third group and he said, well, the third group, the seed falls among thorns. And it says, those who hear, but they go on their way. They're choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life and their fruit does not mature. You ever been around anybody? It's like they say they're Christian and you're thinking, I haven't seen one visible sign that you're a Christian. You, you don't live for him. It's like zero. Well, that's the problem. And he gives three different possible reasons. If I were to categorize them, the cares would be like worries, worries. But then the riches would be wealth. And then the pleasures of life would be like worldliness. 
You know, 1 John 2 verses 15 and 16 talks about these desires of the eyes and the desire of, of the flesh. Talks about the pride of life. All of those kind of things can just totally distract people. And it's like, yeah, I'm not really into religion anyway. Who's talking about religion? I remember going into a park one time and I was talking to some guys. They had bandanas on their uh, head. They had tattoos on their arms and they were sitting out on the hood of their cars and they were drinking beer. And I went up to them and I said, hey, I want to tell you about Jesus. And one guy said, hey, look, we're not into religion. I said, you're not? And he said, no, man, so you might as well beat it. And I said, no, you should be glad I'm here. And they said, did you not understand what we just said? And I said, no, I don't think you understand who Jesus is. Jesus wasn't into religion either. He and the Pharisees always clashed. And they're like, really? I didn't know that. It's about a relationship with the Lord. That's what it's about. But see all these other things, the worries and the wealth and the worldliness, it can pull you away. So there's only one category left, hungry hearts. Hungry hearts, verse 15. A hungry heart is represented as good soul. That's what it says in verse 15. But good soul is also equal to a good heart is what it says in verse 15. But what does it mean, a good heart? Does it mean you're good enough without trusting in Jesus? No, that's not what it means. If we look at it closely, he describes what he's talking about. As for that in the good soul, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and a good heart and bear fruit with patience. So if I was to define based on verse 15, what is a good heart? What is a receptive heart? Well, remember all four are hearing the word, right? I mean, you can go back through and every one of those they all heard, they all heard, they all heard, they all heard the word, but this one's different. What makes them different? Well, when he talks about that they had a good heart, good soul, I believe he's referring to commitment. When he says they hold it fast, it refers to a grip, to a grasp. Do you hold on to the word of God, the gospel? It talks about also how they have an honest heart. I believe an honest heart is a repentant heart. You see, at some point, I got to be real. And I got to say, you know what? The Lord says that my righteousness is at filthy rags. I got to be honest with him. And I got to be willing to turn from my own ways and to follow him in his ways. A committed heart, a repentant heart, but also a surrendered heart, a surrendered heart. You see the word there, good heart. Some translations say generous heart. It means you come to God like this and you say, okay, Lord, I'm all yours. I'm all yours. You know, this morning, someone came into my office and they were ready to do that. They had a good heart in that way. They were saying, I'm at a crossroads. I just want to surrender to God. That's the way everybody becomes a Christian is with surrender. Everybody becomes a Christian by saying, I want to follow you, Lord, wherever it goes. But also notice the fruit. They will have a fruitful heart. At some point, God's spirit will bear fruit in their lives, but then also they persevere persevere. You know, I want to uh, close this message today with a clear example of a hungry heart in a case study found in Acts 16 verses four, 14 to 15. Verse 13 says that Paul goes into Philippi and he finds some women gathered by the river in Philippi. 
They're down by the river and they're there to pray. And all we're told is they were God seekers. They were God fearers. But out of that whole group, only one, only one says, you know what? I understand what you're saying. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention is what it says about this businesswoman named Lydia. She wasn't from Philippi. She was from Thyatira. She was probably there selling some of her products, her merchandise. But this lady opened her heart. That day she was saved. She was baptized. Her family got baptized. But if you notice the marks that we just looked at on a hungry heart, they're all over this lady's biblical witness and testimony. She said, if you find me faithful to the Lord, then I want you to come to my house. I want to follow. I want to go further. I want to follow Christ. Jesus saw a big crowd. They'd all gathered together. Were they really listening with their hearts? Or were they just there for miracles? Were they just there for blessings? In the crowd, he said, I want it to be personal, relational, intentional, internal, total surrender of life. That's what he was looking for. And so some in the crowd had a hardened heart to him. And so I don't know what it's gonna take for those with a hardened heart to, to yield to the Lord. Others in the crowd had shallow, hollow hearts without Christ. They weren't interested in going deep, not really. So it was just kind of emotional for them. Others in crowds were distracted by the world. So I wanna ask for you, do you have a harried heart? Do you have a hard heart, a hollow heart? Or this morning, is your heart hungry? You know, the Lord wants us to come to him as we are. I didn't say you had to be perfect. What I said was you have to be hungry. You have to be serious about it. You have to say, Lord, I'm coming in repentance. I'm coming in surrender. I'm just taking the next step that you would want me to take. I wanna invite our musicians to come. I want us to pray because God may lead someone else to himself today. Already today, one person came to know Christ. Today, we celebrated with a second person who uh, said, I'm willing to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. She had already prayed to receive Christ, but what about you? Don't you feel like God might be speaking to your heart? If he is, we want to give you the opportunity to surrender to him and to follow him until your last breath. Let's stand together. Let me lead us in a prayer and then we'll have this time of invitation. Lord, I thank you so much for the word of God. It is like a mirror. It shows us, Lord, where we stand. It tells us the truth. Sometimes we don't want it to say what it says, but it tells us the truth. I'm so glad, Jesus, that's the way you are. Because also we know that when you say you'll forgive our sins, you'll cast them from the east to the west, you'll throw them behind your back and remember them no more. We can know that you told us the truth. That's the way you'll be. That you tell us that whenever we put our faith and trust in Christ, we'll go to heaven when we die. You tell us the truth. Oh Lord, if anybody here is hearing your voice of truth, help them respond in obedience and surrender and faith this day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This is a ministry of First Baptist Church located at 1700 Milam Street, Columbus, Texas.